everyone. Welcome to the Revolution Podcast. We're the high school ministry at the church at Rocky Peak, and we'd love for you to join us in person on Saturday nights at 530. For more info about the ministry and upcoming events, find us on Instagram at HSRevolution. We hope you enjoy this time of teaching from God's Word. nice to be here with you. My name is Tim. I am the high school pastor here. I'm so excited that you guys are here with us today. Uh, We're going to get ready to jump into our time in the Word. I just want to echo one of the things that the announcement team uh, was talking about. All those announcements are super important, but one of the things next week is Second Saturday, the, the return, the rebirth, the the once again now that we're into the school semester return of Second Saturday. We do those on a monthly basis so that you can have a reason, or one might even say an excuse, to invite a friend to church. There might be someone uh, at school who you know who could use the love and the hope that's available in Jesus, uh, and yet maybe going to them and just inviting them to come to a a regular run-of-the-mill Saturday night feels a little bit intimidating. This gives you uh, one more on-ramp as a a way to do that, because as the people of Jesus, we don't want to just take what he's given given to us and hoard it for ourselves. We want to be able to offer that hope to the people around us. And so if you know someone who could use a community like this where it's safe for them to come and be themselves and hear about who Jesus is and his love for them, uh, think about inviting them next Saturday or really any Saturday, but next Saturday would be a great one to do that. Uh, I'm going to pray for us real quick and we are going to land the plane on this series. We're going to wrap it up with a, a, fun, a fun little message that we have uh, cooked up for today. Jesus, we thank you for inviting us here. I pray, God, that as we come before you into your presence, as we dive into your word, God, would you take our expectations uh, and our experiences of what church has been, and would you just expand those? Would you blow those wide open? Uh, and would you encourage us, Lord, with with the difference that your grace and your love makes in the type of community that you've called us into. We ask this in your name. Amen. As a, as a small child, my family, our yearly vacation, before we were big enough to do things like camping and go on big trips, our yearly vacation is that we would go with my grandparents to Disneyland. Any fans of Disneyland out there? I love Disneyland. Um, in fact, so much so, both Sylvana and I, my wife and I, we had the same experience. Yesterday, we had our first day without, uh, without our three kids in like months and months and months. And what we decided to do, just the two of us grown adults, was go to Disneyland together. And so we, we love Disneyland. But I have this one distinct memory of being a small kid at Disneyland, like under 10, single digit age, right? And, and I'm going around with my family. We're going uh, ride after ride. And I'm sure we rode something. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was Pirates of the Caribbean or something. Some, one of the rides kind of freaked me out a little bit, and we're going up to the next ride, and I'm like, ah, I don't know if I want to go on this one. Maybe I want to sit it out. And so my parents are starting to see me getting a little bit shy and a little bit worried. Uh, and, you know, they're thinking like, oh, well, I want to go on this ride, and so I got to drag my kid on here somehow, and so I better. And so my mom looks at me, and she says, don't worry. This one's not a thrill ride. The ride in question, this one, is most definitely a thrill ride. <laughs> this is Big Thunder Mountain. This is not a slow ride. This is not a calm ride. This is not like a little boat floating through while puppets sing the same song over and over and over again. This is a fast ride. That is the day that I remember learning that parents can lie to you. (laughs) 
because we got off the ride, and I had a great time on the ride, by the way. My mom was right. I was totally fine. It was, I had a great time riding on Thunder Mountain. In fact, that's like the only roller coaster that Salon and I hit yesterday when we were there. So I'm not, you know, incredibly scarred from the experience. Uh, but I remember looking at her, and I was like, it was a thrill ride. <laughs> like, you did not tell me the truth. You lied to me. And my little nine-year-old world was expanded and blown apart. Have you ever thought about all the ways that we get lied to in our world and our culture? Right? My, my mom was trying to do something nice for me and convince me to go on a ride that she knew I would enjoy. Now, could, was, maybe she could have just gone to me and said, you'll have a great time which could have been the truth instead of flipping it and doing what she did. But you know what? She found the shortcut and it worked. Have you ever thought about all the ways that our world lies to us? We see it all the time. Right? And so sometimes parents do that, especially with little kids. Sometimes parents will find ways to do because you're as a, a parent now of small children, it can get exhausting all the times that they'll ask why, all the times they want to know a reason for the different rules and stuff that you have. And sometimes it's like, I need you to go to bed at 8 o'clock so I can have an hour and a half while you're asleep. Like, that's the real reason I need to go to bed, but I'm going to tell you that the crazy boogie monster is going to come get you. I don't do that to my kids. But. Uh, and so sometimes, right, sometimes little things that we've picked up in our relationship with our parents. Have you ever looked at advertising? So how many times is an advertisement going to come across your phone screen as you're trying to watch a YouTube video or somewhere else? And it's going to tell you that here's this product that's going to blow you away or buy this t-shirt, you'll look exactly like this person or do this thing or go to this thing or download this app. Have you ever downloaded one of the apps that's being advertised that's like one of the game apps and it's like, look how amazing this game is, and you download it, and it's like basically solitaire with bad art that they stole from somewhere else, and you're like, well, this, is, this doesn't make any sense, but then now it has all your information and your credit card, and your identity has been stolen, um, or whatever. That's not always what happens, but you, right, the advertisements are constantly lying to us, so much so that most of us have gotten used to looking at the things that an ad is telling us about, here's the most amazing bar of soap, it will change your life, or whatever, and you're like, yeah, no, probably not, right? We're, we're used to tuning that stuff out. Or maybe it's oftentimes on social media, the amount of, of filters and image editing that goes into social media accounts, like occasionally there's, there's people who will be out there who will compare for you, like, hey, here's this celebrity and a picture that they posted of themselves, and here's this celebrity hanging out of the beach, and they got, like, some fan took a picture of them, right? And you, you can see like the drastic difference in the way that they present themselves and even like the radical shape of their body in a social media post versus a real picture of the person. We're constantly always being lied to. And sometimes that's by people who we've never met. And sometimes it's just by people who we know who are just putting up a, a, false, uh, a false picture of who they really are in their life, right? Most people are only posting the, the happy parts of like their social media experience. So much so that someone launched a, a whole social media app revolving around the idea of being more real about your social media stuff. Uh, the app is called Be Real, uh, which makes you, it like forces you to take a picture of who, like your face and your surroundings and that gets posted, except it lets you retake the picture a few times until you get it just right, which I think is like kind of leaning into like even, even in that setting where we're trying to be real, we want to be like the best version of real that we can be. We're constantly all around us. There are little tweaks on reality, little lies that are coming at us and a lot of it we're really used to and many times we feel that same tug. That tug to maybe smooth over a situation that we've created with a little bit of, a, of creative truth-telling. 
with, with a lie, right? With a man, it's a small lie. It's not a big deal. Or we're just, I'm just going to not share this little piece of what actually happened. Or, or maybe by making ourselves look better than we really are, that, that temptation is constantly there to, to lie to the people around us about who we are or what we've done in a way to make ourselves look better. This series that we've been calling Legacy, that we're finishing up tonight, in this series, we've been, we've been discovering God's purpose for the truth. We've been looking at, or for the church, we've been looking at what God's design and expectation was for the early church as they were getting started just after Jesus had risen from the dead and had gone back to sit at the right hand of God the Father. And we've been looking at those expectations and we've been looking at how we can take hold of what we've already been given by God in the church, in this community. That instead of assuming that God's supernatural, spirit-filled community is supposed to look exactly like the broken, natural world around us, we want to look at what he's really released us to be and take hold of that, to live in that more and not just replicate the world that we live in. We've already seen that as the church, we carry the name of Jesus, that what we do here is built on and is all about Jesus, that if you took Jesus out of the church, you wouldn't just have a defective church, you wouldn't just have a broken church, you wouldn't just have an empty, you would have, no, there would not be a church. What God's people are called to do is to be about Jesus. Everything we do reflects who he is. We are called to carry his name. We have also talked about how the church is designed to be supernatural, that Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to be with us, to empower us, to, to live out this mission that he's given us, that we can't carry his name on our own. We're not strong enough to do that on our own. We need his power in our lives, and that's why he's given us the Holy Spirit individually, but also as a community. And then we've also talked about, last week we were looking at when Johnny was here, that the church is a place that reflects how generous God has been to us. That God has generously loved us and gifted us, and we are people who are are called to generously love our community that we're in. And so tonight we're going to wrap up the series with one final expectation that we see from the opening chapter of the book of Acts the opening chapters from the book of Acts, and we're going to look at a story that I'm calling the fatal fib, which we were joking about ahead of time would be a really great, like, veggie tales or something like that, like, Larry Boy and the fatal fib. Um, feels like it goes well with the, it's like the sequel to the rumor weed. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Um, we'll probably never watch a veggie tales ever in Revolution. Probably, but you never know. All right, um, Let me give a little bit of background. I think background to this story is going to be important. We're going to be in the book of Acts in chapter 5. If you want to open up there, that's totally fine. I'm going to read just a tiny sliver of what's going on in Acts chapter 4 because it's going to inform the story that we're about to jump into. And so in this, uh, in Acts 4, it talks about how all the believers, uh, that they're, they're it says they're of one heart and of one mind, uh, that no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything that they had. And so God is moving so powerfully that they're just sharing everything together as a church, uh, that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy person among them. And from time to time, those who owned lands or houses would sell them and they would take the money from the sale and put that at the feet of their leaders and they would distribute it to those who had need. And then it gives us a little snippet that Joseph 
they also called Barnabas, sold a field he owned, and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And so there's this amazing work of God going on that the, the gospel is so powerfully moving in the lives and the hearts of these people uh, that they're wanting to be generous the way that God has been generous to them. And so they're selling their stuff to take care of the needy people who are there. Right, that there are people who are coming who are incredibly poor. Right? We know that the church was made up of people who were, some who were incredibly rich and some people who had, had been forced to sell themselves into slavery because of the amount of debt that they were in. And the church is taking care of the poor by the, the rich, literally just selling off the things that they have so that they had everything in common. And so we're coming into to this movement that's happening. Right? And you can imagine that when people hear that Joseph did this thing, that Barnabas did this thing, that they're, that they're stoked on them and they're excited about what God's doing in their life. And you can imagine maybe, just maybe, wanting to get in on some of those, those pats on the back that are happening in the community. And so that's where we jump in, in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back a part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think to do such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who had seen what had happened. All who had heard what had happened. Verse 6, Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out, and they buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? And so here we're seeing, right, Peter is repeating the lie that Ananias had said, that this was the amount, the full amount of what they had made. Yes, she said. That's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear sees the whole church and all who heard about these events. And so one quick sidebar that I want to mention there is when it talks about fear there, when, when the Bible talks about fear of the Lord, it's not fear that one day God is going to randomly lash out and smite you because he woke up on the wrong side of the bed, but it's the fear, the same fear that you feel when, you, when you're walking up to the edge of the railing in Yosemite over a giant waterfall and you recognize that, man, this is powerful enough to crush me. And so it, the fear keeps you back, or the, the fear that keeps you from jumping in to the pit with the lions in the zoo, where you're like, you know what? Lions are pretty dependable. I bet you if I jumped in there, it wouldn't be good for me, and I probably would come out in pieces and not all in one piece. And so it's that same thing of recognizing God, God is incredibly good and incredibly righteous and very protective. And when we cross him and his people and his community, that doesn't always go well for us. So what can we learn here from this passage about God's expectations for his community that he's created? And so the first fill on your note sheet is this, that the church is called to be radically honest. 
The church is called to be radically honest. What did Ananias and Sapphira get in trouble for? It wasn't, they didn't get in trouble for holding back some of the sale. In fact, Peter said, hey, the whole field, the whole thing, it all belonged to you. You could have kept it. You could have sold it and given part of it, but you came and gave part and said you were giving all. And that's very specifically what they got in trouble for was for lying within the community. In Ephesians 4, we see this expectation for what we're called to be laid out. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In other words, if, if I'm lying to you because it's better for me and going to be a little bit worse for you, I'm, I'm hurting you in the process, but we're all a part of the one community, that one body together. And so me putting myself over you is missing the point of who we're supposed to be. Right? Ananias and Sapphira were doing a good thing, but they were lying about it to make themselves seem better. And this put the whole movement of Jesus in danger. Right? We know that we are all sinners in need of a rescue that could only come from Jesus. That every single one of us in this room has gone against God, has rebelled against him, and that we all need Jesus. That's what, that's what the movement is built on. That's what we mean when we say that we carry the name of Jesus. It is all about that story of what he's done for us, that he has blessed us with forgiveness that we don't deserve. And as a result, we no longer carry our own name to make ourselves look great, but it is all about him, making him look great. And it's his grace and our no longer living for ourselves that gives us the freedom to be radically honest about who we are and about how we're growing. So we can even be honest about the things that are, that are hard for us to do, the areas where we have not yet grown in God, the places where we're still maybe holding on to old ways or old selfishness, or old, that we can bring that and be honest because we know that we stand in forgiveness. And Ananias and Sapphira, at least it seems to me, without more detail from the, the passage, they, right, they could have given just a portion and been totally fine. And they could have been honest that their faith was just not quite yet strong enough to completely trust that God would take care of their needs. And so they're going to keep back a portion, but they sold it and they want to give some of it. But instead, they chose to lie, to make themselves look like they were exactly like Joseph, who had sold his whole field and given it all, that they had done the same thing. And that what they did by lying could have easily opened all kinds of doors in the early community of Jesus for people to lie about their own goodness and make themselves look good instead of being truthful about their need for Jesus. And I'm sure that we feel this pressure sometimes too. Right? In a group of friends, maybe in order to, to make our mark, uh, stand out a little bit, maybe we'll, we'll embellish a little bit about uh, our our families or our connections with certain people or we'll, we'll make up, you know, we were in the same restaurant one time as a celebrity and the story quickly becomes about how we befriended them or we uh, talk about our, our family and the vacations that we go on and we just make them seem a little bit more grand than they are or we, we just, we can easily make up little tiny, what feel like almost 
inconsequential lies to make ourselves seem better. Or even sometimes we can find ourselves right, tempted to, to lie within our life groups when people are talking about areas that they struggle in or when our life group leader asks a question that opens up the floor that maybe we could talk about something that, that we know is still an area where we're growing, where we're not perfect yet, where we haven't arrived. But we instead, we put on a mask of this, of perfect faith or very little need for forgiveness. And I, I feel myself having that same pressure. Just this last week in my adult life group, we're going around talking about something and I was, I was literally talking about, hey, this... Last week, God was helping me in this area, but before I talked about that, I kind of was like, you know, like not that this has been like a big thing for me recently, and not that it's been like the major area where God is growing me, but I saw God doing da-da-da-da-da. And then later, I found myself thinking like, why did I have to qualify that? Why did I have to make it clear? Like, am I worried that my life is going to be like, oh, Tim needs Jesus a lot, so maybe we shouldn't listen to him. Like that, that's not living in the freedom that we've been given. We've been given the freedom to know that we all come as imperfect people who are forgiven, that we don't have to put on a mask. We don't have to hide. We don't have to keep our sin back from each other in this community because we know that my sin and your sin, it's all been laid at the feet of Jesus, and he's taking care of all of it. And we've been called to radical honesty, as his people. And so why did God need to take such a heavy, protective stance against lying, right? Why not just have Peter be like, this is bad, give the rest of the money, or you guys should go sit, sit in time out, or go, you're banished from the community for a month, and then you can come back and apologize. Why, why take such a heavy hand towards it? Why is it so important? So your next fill-in is this, is that, that lying is deadly, but grace brings life. Lying is deadly, but grace brings life. A lot of times, when we have the opportunity to lie, we think about how difficult it would be in the moment to tell the truth. We think about maybe all the things that could happen to us if we told the plain truth to our parents or to our friend who maybe we wronged or to whoever else that we're tempted to lie to. We think about what we'll give up if we tell the truth, but we don't think about what the consequences of lying are. Here's a couple things Proverbs has to say about it. Proverbs 10.9 says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. So the person who tells the truth walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Have you ever told a lie and then spent time worrying that who you lied to might figure out that you didn't tell the truth? You know who never lays awake at night worrying that the truth is going to find them? The person who told the truth in the first place. And so just that anxiety and that worry, right, that's a form and a way that we suffer for having lied ourselves. Proverbs 19.9 says, A false witness will not go unpunished, and whoever pours out lies will perish. So often, we lie to cover up something about ourselves or our situation, and as a result, once we're found out, we've made the situation worse. Can you think about a time in your life where you lied maybe to cover something up, and the, the, the response, what happened afterwards, once the truth came out, then it was so much worse. Have you ever had that where the punishment, what happened as a result, 
of having lied in the first place ended up being worse than if you had told the truth. Right? And yet, even though this has happened to us, even though I bet you most of us can think of times in our life where we've done that, where we haven't been truthful and it's, it's bitten us in return, even though that's happened, the next time that we're tempted, we hop back on that same plan and cover, cover, cover. There's just something about trying to cover for ourselves and telling a lie that just is it's almost addictive, even though we constantly find ourselves getting crushed by it, not realizing that life is better lived imperfect and honest rather than with a false sense of being perfect that eventually pops. Right? So often what we're trying to do by lying is to cover up something about us that is imperfect. Either a mistake that we made, sin that we committed, someone's trust that we broke, or just something about our situation that we'd prefer people not know. And yet when that pops, it ends up being worse than if we were truthful in the first place. And in addition to being ineffective in most situations, we know that, that it's very clear in the Bible that lying is a sin. Right? It's something that goes against the character of God that we're called to represent. And we know that all sin leads to death. Both in the physical world, that destruction of relationships that we feel, the breakdown in trust and trustworthiness. Once we're caught in a lie, then people are going to end up trusting us less. And so there's a little bit of death that we experience there, but also a spiritual death, a separation from God that occurs in our life when we choose to live in what is false instead of embrace what is true. But we also know that no sin is outside of God's willingness and power to forgive through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Just a couple of examples. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sin, right, and what is confession is so often, that's uncovering something that we've kept hidden, that many times is eating us up on the inside that others may not yet even know about, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Or 1 Timothy 1.15, one of my favorites, says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. And so it's Paul talking, claiming as that he is the worst sinner and that he even has been forgiven by Jesus. And so if Paul can be forgiven, that means I can be forgiven. And trust me, if I can be forgiven, you can be forgiven. All we need to do is turn to Jesus and ask for that forgiveness. No matter how big the lies in our past, forgiveness and life exist that can be found in Jesus. And because we're the community of Jesus, and we know that he has freed us to live in the light of honest relationships, we know that we, we can move out of hiding in the shadows. But why is, why is honesty so incredibly important for the church the next feeling that we have there is this, is that we're honest because God is faithful. That we are honest because God is faithful. We talked about it as the church that we carry the name of Jesus, right? That our, our quote-unquote moral code, what's right and wrong, that it's not, it's not arbitrary. It's not just a made-up list of do's and don'ts. It's not what one old guy thousands of years ago thought was good and wasn't good. That we live to reflect the character and goodness of our God and our Savior. And that because he is faithful, 
or the, the Hebrew word there that gets translated in some of the passages we're about to look at literally means true, that because he is true, because he's faithful, because he's dependable, we cling to the truth. And we live honest lives because we serve an honest God. So let's just take a quick snapshot of what the Bible says about God's character. First, Ephesians 5.1, where we see this idea of us kind of being image bearers, reflecting who God is. Ephesians 5.1 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, that we've been invited into his family, and because we're children of God, we live to reflect who he is. Exodus 34, 6, which if you were around a while ago was my favorite verse for a good chunk of time, and so you might have heard it a lot, or maybe this will be a good reminder. Uh, Exodus 34, 6 says this, and he passed, God passed in front of Moses proclaiming this about himself, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So God is, is full of, is abounding in faithfulness, literally abounding in truth, that you can trust that he will be true. Psalm 86.15 does a, a riff on this and says this, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Psalm 108.4 says, For great is your love, higher than the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Second Timothy chapter 2, it says this. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, with Jesus, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And so if we've died to Jesus, we are forgiven and we are taken care of. If we endure, if we live for him, then when we rise to new life, we get to rule alongside of him. And then it says, if we disown him, he will also disown us, which means there's a, a consequence. There's a, a reflect. We need to respond to Jesus in order to accept and receive the forgiveness that he's offered. And then it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he can't disown himself. That God, at his core and his character, that he is faithful, he is true. He loves and he cares for each of us and he does not lie. And so we, as his people, we reflect that. And in fact, that's one of the things that he does in our lives is transform us and grow us to be different. In Galatians 5 there's a famous passage that talks about the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit does in our lives as His followers. And it says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so God is working in our lives to bring out of us the same character that He exhibits, the same character that He has. He's growing in us. And so because our God is true and because our God is honest, that as his people to reflect him, we live lives of honesty also. And he has freed us up to be able to do that by the sacrifice of Jesus. 
And so as the band comes up, there are two questions that I think are important for us to kind of consider in our own lives. And so I want to give you a little bit of a chance to think about those two things this week. Uh, and really, these are things that, that as followers of Jesus, I think we need to take to God himself and allow him to speak into our lives. The first question is, what lies do you need to correct? What lies do you need to correct? I think in this room, probably all of us, have had times where we haven't been truthful with people. And some of those things, you were five years old and you lied to your mom about having a cookie before dinner, right? You probably don't need to go back to her right now and apologize to her for lying to her when you were five. But there are other things that we can think of, ways that we've lied, where we haven't told the truth, where, where it needs to be corrected, where we're still living in that, where there's a chance to claim the truth of God that that we can live in freedom and that truth is better and so that we should desire to be honest people, that we can claim that by going to the people who we've misled and correcting that. And the best thing that we can do is allow God the opportunity to show us maybe what relationships we need to move towards healing by bringing truth into that circumstance. The second question is this. Where will radical honesty breathe new life? Where will radical honesty breathe new life? Is there a place where you've allowed the truth to go hidden? Is there a, a way that you've been fake with someone who you know? That, that you need to decide to, to bite the bullet, to be honest, and to be truthful with that person? And I want to encourage you during this time to, to really let God challenge you to take hold of, of the kind of community that we're supposed to be. That we're not like the world around us that covers who we really are and gives a fake image to, the, to people. That we are allowed to be who we truly are and talk about the areas where God is still growing us. And maybe simply it's just this week in your life group when it comes time to share about what's going on in your life, of really taking that step and, and sharing that thing that you've kind of held back because you've been worried maybe about how it will change how people see you. And instead, it's, it's leaning in to knowing that, that we're a community that is built on the name of Jesus and his grace for us that we all recognize that we're in desperate need of him, where our, some of our greatest leaders in the movement describe themselves as the worst of all sinners because they recognize the ways that they've rebelled against God. And, and it's a place where we can be honest about what God is truly transforming in our lives instead of hiding it until we can bring it and say, well, hey, God has fixed this now, and now I can tell you guys about what's going on. Instead, we can ask for help and encouragement and prayer in the middle of what's messy. And so maybe that's exactly where God wants to breathe new life into what you're living in. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. We ask, God, that as even as the anxiety that comes up with being honest swirls around us, we ask that you would bring peace. 
We ask that you would rest on our lives, that you would give us a hope and a courage to step into your promise, God, that you've designed us to be a community of radical honesty and that we have the safety to do that because of the message of your love and your gospel for us. And so would we be people in our relationships, in our life groups, would we be people who are true and faithful and honest because we serve a God who is true and faithful with us. In Jesus' name, amen.